Welcome to the Hollywood and Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 19 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast. This week's interview is with comedian and podcaster Steve Mudflat McGrew. He's one of the singers behind the Friends in Safe Spaces song parody and a very funny stand-up in his own right. But before our chat, I wanted to open up a little bit of personal problem I've been having. I've dubbed it content guilt. Now we know we're living in the golden age of TV, and I mean TV in the TV, cable, streaming channels, you name it. There's just so much great content out there at any anyone's time for anyone to check out. Now I'm a movie guy, that's me first and foremost, but even I recognize that a lot of movies today aren't very good, and frankly a lot of these shows are just amazing. I remember absolutely inhaling Fargo Season 2. I just couldn't wait to watch each new episode. It was spectacular. It had the kind of excitement for me as a fan of these kind of stories that a great movie has. So I think in many cases, TV is lapping movies when it comes to entertainment and quality. But the only time I really get time to watch TV is just before bedtime. I kind of hunker down in bed with my tablet, kind of crank it up and see what's available. And then I kind of lock up. I look at Netflix, I look at Amazon Prime, and all of a sudden, all the all the sort of advice I've been given over the past few days, all the Facebook tips and people tweeting, oh, you need to watch this show, you need to watch that show, it all comes flooding back, and I think, what do I do? I, I need to watch something. I don't have much time. I can maybe watch one episode, maybe 40 minutes of a particular show, and that's kind of it. So what I do is I look, and I look, and then I kind of give up, and then I go back to the recently added section of Netflix, find out what's there. And if nothing goes on, I just end up finding an old, either an old horror movie or a B movie that I kind of curious about and almost like I hate watch it sometimes. And then I go and I'm drifting off to sleep with a kind of a lousy movie in my memory. So I don't know if everyone else has a similar problem, but there's just too much out there. What do I commit to? I mean, the Americans I hear is amazing. Peaky Blinders is must-see TV. It's all good stuff. But you know what? It's an enormous time commitment at the same time as well. And I, I just don't have the the hours in the day to kind of squeeze it in. So I end up watching bad horror movies and kind of just <laughs> regretting it afterwards. And then, of course, my content guilt just gets bigger and bigger. And then when the next person says, oh, you got to see this, I, I make a mental note and know that I probably won't see it. And I'll just feel bad about it. Also wanted to uh, take a quick moment to plug HollywoodInToto.com got a ton of traffic for a new story on the site that calls out both the press and Sarah Silverman for her upcoming talk show. Now, she's going to be doing a talk show for Hulu. It's going to be a 10-show season. And of course, it's going to be politically charged, talking about the, the news of the day. And you know, listen, there's a million shows like it. I don't know what she can add new to it. She's a very liberal, outspoken comedian. And of course, she's going to bring that perspective. But the funny thing is that all the news outlets say, no, this isn't what you expect. This isn't going to be the hardcore liberal Sarah Silverman. She's really curious about kind of bringing in other voices, being more open-minded, kind of opening up the conversation. I thought, well, boy, on paper, that sounds great. Wouldn't that be nice to have someone who just doesn't sort of toe the liberal line and kind of talks about both sides of an issue? But then I thought, wait a minute, this is Sarah Silverman. Why in God's green earth would she even go there? What, what would be the impetus for her? 
And then I figured, well, isn't that what Larry Wilmore said a little while back? He kind of talked about the same thing when his show started, The Nightly Show. He was a raging moderate who would bring new voices to the conversation. You wouldn't have the typical expectations of what he would cover and the angles he would take. He was a new kind of show. And then you watched it, and it was the same old, same old stuff. So I suspect Sarah Silverman's new show, when it comes out, will be the same old Trump bashing. And listen, Trump brings a lot of it on himself. But boy, there are a lot of of left-of-center targets that could use a, a hit or two, a little bit of mockery perhaps, and... Let's just hope Sarah Silverman actually lives up to her press clippings and does it. But boy, I'm not holding my breath. Before my chat with Steve McGrew, I want to have the, the usual hit tip of the week installment here. I recently met comedian Mike Berbiglia during his promotional push for Don't Think Twice. It's a very funny movie, kind of looking at the improv world with a uh, rather a hardly rosy, <laughs> rosy colored glass point of view. It's actually pretty tough on the comedian's and their lifestyle. So if you haven't had a chance to do so, check that one out. But in the meantime, why not check out Mike Berbiglia, Thank God for Jokes. It's a new comedy special, and it isn't as aggressively anti-Catholic as you think, based on that title. It's just a really funny stand-up special with a liberal meme in there, just to kind of spice things up, I guess you could say. But overall, it's mostly apolitical. But what amazed me is that not only just how funny it is, but how expertly crafted it was. Mike Birbigley is clearly at the top of his game. He tells stories based on his life. He kind of weaves in some more outrageous observations, puts it all together in this very compelling package. And I have to say, I just was amazed by it. When I wasn't laughing, I was marveling at how well-crafted it was. This is a comedian who knows exactly what he's doing, how to tailor each and every joke, how to deliver it, and also how to weave a bigger story and make some sort of bolder statements about the way we live and interact with each other. So if you get a chance, check out Mike Berbiglia. Thank God for jokes. It's a very funny special and well worth your time. But let's get to this week's interview. Steve Munflat McGrew has been making us laugh for decades. The veteran comic runs not one, but two podcasts, Remasculate and Wrinkled Sheets. The latter is a pretty funny look at the male-female divide. He's always on tour, from cruise ships to comedy clubs nationwide. And his recent pairing with Chad Prather sparked that viral video sensation, Friends in Safe Spaces. He's been all over Fox News and other outlets now, and it's getting really good play. Of course, not in the mainstream press, but in new media In a way, it's where it belongs because they don't like to follow the usual standard template when it comes to stories that click or don't click. But I wanted to find out a little bit more about Steve, about how he operates, and some of the sort of stories that he's been going through over the years. Here's my chat with Steve McGrew. Well, I want to start with sort of a, uh, (laughs) as corny as it might sound, a state of Steve McGrew address. What's what's going on with your career and what's what's happening at the, uh, the start of 2017? Okay. And uh, I'm also doing a whole lot of cruise ship work. I started working for Royal Caribbean, mm-hmm. and I do a lot of their uh, big theater shows there on the on the ships. And it, I, I booked several of those this year. Wow. And what's how how much is that different than a traditional gig, or is it exactly the same, just a new locale? Uh, a little of both, because they do. Um, you can actually do a late night adult comedy show, which uh-huh. they want you to do nothing different than you would in your in your club show, but then sometimes when you work the big theater main room, they want you to do just like a, a, a PG show. Gotcha. So, and, and those are a little more difficult because when you're in that mode of restriction, you really don't feel as free uh, in this situation. Like if mm-hmm. somebody was to heckle you at a club, you might be able to just 
grip of a new one. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yep. And if somebody in that situation, you're just like, oh, thank you, appreciate it. <laughs> you know, let me just keep rolling here because that's what I have to do. Uh-huh. And are the audience is any different at all, or is it just sort of the same old kind of enjoying the jokes and, and appreciating the experience? Hecklers aside. I, yeah, I, the, I, I say the hecklers. I haven't had any at all. Okay. But it's just that awareness, that you're aware that that could happen. Sure. And because I, I had comic friends at workship go, oh, this lady just destroyed my show the other night because she just kept talking. I couldn't, you know. But I think maybe because of my style of comedy and what I do, uh-huh. I don't I don't slow down enough to get heckled. Gotcha. Or I'm funny enough not to get heckled. That's a good sign. <laughs> yes. Now, in addition to the stand-up you do, you've got two podcasts going and Remasculate and also Wrinkled Sheets, which I, I think is a newer show, right? No, well, yeah, it's, it's newer than Wrinkled Sheets. Okay. We've been doing it uh, uh, almost three years now. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's just one I do with my my girlfriend now slash fiance. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that... That's just a chance for us to get in here and, and do relationship kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, it usually turns out that we talk about things that we wouldn't talk to each other. You know? <laughs> it's like, I would say this if we weren't on the air because now you can't yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> now, as a comedian who's sort of, I'm sure your radar is always up for ideas and things, do those conversations eventually make it into your stand up routine? I mean, is it sort of a, a great workshop or is it sort of a different set of material? That's the perfect way to put it. It's a great workshop. A lot of times we'll just be, you know, you're riffing and going back and forth, and a punchline will shoot out, and you're like, I've got to turn this into a, a joke. <laughs> gotcha. And as far as the, the back and forth goes, I think it can be, you know, listen, as a guy, it can be hard to get into the female mindset. Some people do it better than others. Does that sort of let you kind of get a feel for where half your audience is going with a joke, where maybe otherwise you might not have that kind of feedback? Uh yeah, you know, I hadn't even thought of that, but you're, you're probably right. It's a great way to uh, to get feedback. Because mm-hmm. I know when I read the comments or get the comments from people who listen to the podcast, when they say something, oh, we really enjoyed such and such, you're like, well, well, good. You know? <laughs> Maybe I should go into that a little deeper next time. Uh-huh. Now, uh, one of the things, I, we, we, I follow each other on Facebook, and I know you've had some really good success with some of your Trump videos. I, I, <laughs> I want you to kind of take me behind the scenes a little bit. Well, uh, what your thinking was at the time, uh, were you surprised they had kind of exploded and, you know, clinically went viral? And, and what's, how does that change things for you? I mean, is that, is, I mean, you always have to respond to your audience and obviously that response was pretty significant. Um, yeah, that, that kind of took me by surprise. I was, uh, my very first video of that, I was just laying in a hotel room waiting to go on stage, go to do a show. And I was thrumming through, uh, Facebook and I saw this girl, you know, come crying about Trump winning, and I just did a parody of her as a video. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I did it like in one take. I just went, eh, and that thing went over eight million views. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and uh, I realized there was something there, so I talked to Chad about it because Chad is the viral video king. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, and he goes, oh, you got to follow up. He goes, now you got your foot in the door. You got to just. And so many people started going, well, you know, you can't do this. You're going to lose bookings and there's guys aren't going to hire you and people are going to stop following you. And the more I made, the more views I got, the more followers I got. I got right at this point, I think I have over nine million views of videos mm-hmm. and I've gained probably about 50,000 followers, regular followers, and I've lost a hundred people. Wow. That's you know what I mean? So the mm-hmm. ratio of that. 
and like Chad does, they probably weren't real real followers anywhere. They probably heard you on the radio and followed you on Facebook. Their their time was done. Yeah. Now, now that original video, did you do? I mean, obviously you posted it, but did you kind of put any extra effort in sharing it, or is it just a a true organic kind of explosion? That one was a true organic explosion. That, that the very first one was because uh-huh. I it it was so weird because you have to watch it. You lay there and watch it. You you get hit refresh and it gets like five hundred more, <laughs> one thousand more, uh-huh. two thousand more, and then when it hit one million. Um, I, I told my friend Jeremy Padgett in Fix 100, I told him, this thing's going viral. And he goes, nah, it's not going to bust 300,000. <laughs> when it hit, a mil- it hit a million, I snapped a picture of it and sent it to him. <laughs> well, you know, I... But I it did. Uh-huh. This, I think, in, in a way, this speaks to something. You, but it's really viral. It really is one of those things they talk about. Uh-huh. Now, does that change your, I mean, do you find a, a spike in comedy appearances? Like what, does anything change after that or is it just kind of an opportunity to reach more people? It's a combo of that. Uh, I was working at the Fort Worth Comedy Club when that video went viral. And by the weekend, uh, I had sold a bunch more tickets. We ended up selling out the weekend. Uh-huh. And a lot of people said that they'd never heard, heard of me before they saw, saw that video. So in a way, that that video and these other videos have done more for me than anything that Hollywood did or my special on Comedy Central. Hmm. That's a sign of the times. Um, uh, I think so. I really do believe that the internet can make you a star way before Hollywood can. Uh-huh. A, a couple of weeks ago, I had a chance to interview Nick DiPaolo, who is right of center as well. And I mean, if you really want to put the right of center comics in a group, you can almost count them on one hand. Is, is that changing? I mean, do you get more gigs because of that? Does it does it impact you? Or do you even sort of maybe market yourself in that way just because there's such a niche that, that really hasn't been tapped yet? Uh, well, I haven't marketed myself that way yet. Uh, this will be the first time I've done it with Chad, with uh-huh. friends in safe, safe spaces. Because we both agree that's the audience that's out there. Yep. They're hungry for that. <laughs> uh, I think they're, they're absolutely tired of Sarah Silverman, you know, complaining at them. <laughs> And so uh, this will be the first step into that. But as far as my stand-up, I really don't even do political stuff in my stand-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chad is a little, little more uh, that way because that's his rants. But uh, I, I find, I don't know if you saw a video with, with South the other day of uh, uh, John Caparillo getting a drink thrown at him on stage. No, I didn't see that. No, I did not. Yeah, uh, he's at the Comedy Magic Club in Hermosa Beach, and he makes a, a Trump joke, like uh, how much he dislikes Trump, and a lady throws a drink at him. Mm. Yikes. And, and I, I think America is like, they're kind of like, we're done, you know? We've seen so much of it, just mm-hmm. don't, don't anymore. Yeah, well, I think part of the problem, what I'm seeing now is, it's not even jokes. I mean, the Seth Meyers of the world, and... It's angry, it's venomous, there's not even a well-crafted joke within the dig, so that you can't even respond to it. It's more like sort of a, I guess you could say it's comic virtue signaling, but I, I, I wonder about your, the example you mentioned about the drink being thrown, I wonder if it was a joke or just a reference, because, you know, you don't need a comedian to make a reference, you need a comedian to be funny. And, well, exactly. Uh, and, and I think if you can make a joke and it's funny, uh, do it. I, I actually made a Trump joke the other day on a, on a cruise ship. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Trump fan and supporter, but I was just like we were talking about cats. I was talking about my girlfriend has a cat. And she goes, uh, I go, what'd you name yours? And she goes, Cheeto. I go, let me guess, because it's an orange tabby. And she goes, yeah. I go, 
oh, if it's orange, you should have named it Trump. Uh-huh. And there was just a big, big cheer. <laughs> but, but, you know what I mean? It wasn't a, it wasn't a dig, it wasn't a slam, it wasn't a, boy, Trump, you, mm-hmm. you should have named him after Trumple Stiltskin or something, <laughs> you know, a mean edge to it, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. One of the things I'm kind of curious about, there's been so much effort painted towards Trump. And listen, Trump invites a lot of it. He's cartoonish. He's larger than life. He's colorful. He exaggerates things. I mean, he's really, in a way, he's a political satirist's best friend. But I'm also thinking we're in, you know, the first month or two of the of the presidency. Is there sort of an exhaustion factor? Just as a comedian analyzing the industry, do your fellow comics maybe, you know, are they kind of dancing with, with danger if they kind of go too far too fast? Or is it... Or is Trump unique and he'll feed comedians for the next four years? Uh, I, th- I think he will feed comedians like any any president does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do agree with everything you said about him being larger mm-hmm. than life and boastful. And you know what that means? It means he's a successful businessman. He's a, he's a great salesman. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any problem with him. He, he sort of reminds me of, of my dad in a way of like, <laughs> there was like a million million cars on the highway. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not a lie. That's just you going, I'm exaggerating. It was, I was stressed out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yep. And I, I get so tired of thinking, we caught him in another lie. No, you didn't. He was just being a guy going, you know, and we were surrounded by a million Indians. That's right, Custer. They were a million, you know? <laughs> so, but I do think that uh, the, the jokes coming from the other side are getting tiresome and worn out especially uh-huh. the slams that when they're trying to slam him yeah it's the same you know all right he's dumb his followers are dumb uh, again you know that's just the hicks that have voted for him when, when people will go uh i work for nasa i guess i'm a hick in the, in the court in the comment following that post you know mm-hmm. gotcha um one of the things that you do with your podcast you interview a lot of comics and you've been on the scene for a while now i'm kind of curious what do you think is changing about comedy today as opposed to maybe 10 or 15 years ago? Is it, Are the basics the same or is it the, is the material changing? What, what kind of trends do you see just being a comic yourself and also talking to a lot of comedians? The, the trend now is talking like uh, you're reading Twitter on stage. Huh. That seems to be the new new thing of much, much younger comics, like the guys just starting out. Yeah. Because they're disjointed uh, – Thoughts and not even construct, well-constructed jokes. A lot of times, they're almost like mm-hmm. what you would if you could just stand on stage and read your Twitter feed. You know, they're not connected. They're just, and that seems to be the style now. Where there went through a period of storytelling, and then there was the joke jokes. You know, yeah. of the old days. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, and uh, I guess the audiences maybe are fragmented enough or, or scattered enough mentally that they're okay with sort of that. That's kind of loose association. Yes, I think so. I think the the mentality of a lot of people today uh-huh. keep it moving just go yeah and, and when it comes to the, the comedians themselves you know you've had success with YouTube and you're kind of savvy in that arena do they feel pressure to be funny on Twitter I mean, do they do you get the sense that there's almost like another job that goes to a comedian these days the marketing the social media oh yes definitely and I, I just talked to a comic that I worked with down in Tucson the other day and I wish I could remember the per- comic that she was telling me about, uh-huh. but they got a job uh, off of Twitter for huh. writing for one of the sitcoms. They, they, they liked her jokes on Twitter so much that mm-hmm. they actually offered her a, a you know, network job. Yeah, that's amazing. So it's, it's possible. Gotcha. And uh, as far as when you talk to comedians, maybe younger comedians who are just kind of 
entering the field. What's what's your advice today, and is it much different than it was maybe twenty years ago? Oh, it is so much different. It's it's probably harder to break into the comedy clubs, uh-huh. but it's easier to become a star on the internet. And is there so I think that's what, good? Yeah, I think that's what happened with a lot of the new people. Is there a danger there? You know, I remember years ago I saw Chris Isaac and Lisa Marie Presley open for him. And now he's the consummate pro, and she was terrible. I mean, she was literally reading her the, the lyrics off a, uh, a music sheet. And I'm thinking, you know, because of her name, she didn't work the club. She didn't sort of earn her earn her status in a sense. Do you is it is there a fear that maybe today's comedians, if they have one great you know YouTube video, that they can kind of go from A to Z? And yet they don't they don't have the chops in a sense, potentially. Oh, yeah, no, that's you hit it right on the head. That's what's happening in a lot of places that the comedy clubs will hire some of these internet YouTubers uh-huh. because they can sell tickets immediately and then people walk out on the show. <laughs> I've heard that from several clubs. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, one of the things I've noticed about your I was looking at your kind of roster of, of podcast guests and uh, just sort of a, a variety of people, different nationalities. There was a lesbian comic that you interviewed. Obviously, you probably don't agree with a lot of them politically, and they and they could say the same for you. But it sounds like there's a, a good atmosphere. There's no there's no animosity. Can you talk about that? Because I feel like there's such a divide in our country now. But here you are, just sitting down with people who don't agree with you in a way. But you're having a great time. You're talking comedy. Can we? How do you get to that place? And what what can we learn from those conversations? I think that just being um, civil and human. Uh-huh. They, uh, like the podcasters you're talking about with Kristen Keys, oh. she was one of the best podcasts. We had so much fun. Uh-huh. She and I were working together at the Brad Garrett's Comedy Club in Vegas, and we sat down and did that podcast. And um, even even this is my favorite part. Kristen Keys' wife uh, is in television in, in L.A., and her wife was like, "You need a sitcom." I go, "I agree." <laughs> You know, it's like so you can you can be funny, you can still be friends, you yep. can disagree as long as you can disagree. Like, as, if if I if if I can say I see your point, but I don't agree, it's not like oh, well that's just stupid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think there's too much of that right now. That that's just stupid. You're an idiot to even think like that. Uh huh. And that's just and that never happens with, when I'm on a podcast or with with friends. Like yesterday, I just recorded a podcast with. Uh, Another comic, uh, it's called The 31 with Brent Tolbert. And he he's another left-leaning. We had a great time, and after we were done, he goes, Man, love your videos. Keep it up. You found your audience. Uh-huh. So he's actually congratulating me <laughs> on what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yep. Gotcha. Now, I know you work a lot in the Brad Garrett's Club and in Vegas. Can you share one Vegas story? I, I, there may be a th- hundred you could even tick off your head, but just... Anything that kind of captures just what Vegas is like in a way as a as someone who works there so often? Oh, it, for like for New Vegas or just Vegas in general? Any, anything that comes to mind that's a fun story that kind of just typifies what that what that city can be like. Well, you never know who's going to drop in. Uh-huh. That's the one thing about Vegas, especially working at Brands Club. You never know, like, hey, you don't mind if Ray Romano comes up and does a few minutes of you. <laughs> um, yeah. I do, but I can't say that. <laughs> like, no, I would love to follow one of the guys with the biggest TV show in history. Uh-huh. So those kind of things happen a lot. And that just happened to another friend of mine at there at Brands Club. Uh, mm-hmm. Jason Alexander dropped in. Oh, wow. And wanted to do a set. And hmm. he was like, 
I have to follow two of the big Brad from Everybody Loves Raymond and uh-huh. now Jason from Seinfeld. You know, over the years when you read about comedians, and I think there are some sort of famous examples of sort of the tears of a clown and how there can be a darkness. And there have been some comedians who have had that in their past. You've always struck me as a very kind of positive pro guy. Do you do you get the sense that today's comedians are a different breed than maybe the, the previous generation where they're maybe a little bit more contented or are they, do they still have their demons and that maybe helps fuel their kind of comedy? Well, I think they have different demons. I think a lot of us, you know, they always say that the, the comics have some type of, you know, depression or something in the past or uh-huh. something they didn't work through. I, I've heard that forever, but uh, for me... Uh, my sense of humor, I got kind of got it from my dad. My dad was very funny. But I also used my sense of humor uh, as a deflective thing. Like, mm-hmm. I've heard the prior did the same thing. That you're, you know, you're smaller, you get teased, you, and if you can make jokes and, and uh, make self-deprecating jokes before they do it, you're like, oh, what that butter? Because I'm making fun of myself. <laughs> yeah. But I think the guys today actually have some deep, deep-seated issues in a way. Uh-huh. There's, they, they really are, I, don't, I hate to say it, but they, you know, they're falling into that snowflake attitude mm-hmm. that everything is wrong, they hate this, they hate that, why can't it be like this? There's no real positivity to them. Yeah. You know, you and I had talked about sort of the PC culture in a while, and one of the things that kind of just amazes me is that when you talk about PC and things you can and can't say, you would think this would be the one thing that you, would you, you kind of unite someone like you and a Sarah Silverman, like you both are sort of in the same gig, the same business. You both want the same free speech. You both want that leash to be able to be as funny and inventive and wild as possible. But I don't get the sense that a lot of comedians are really being, you know, kind of following the Seinfeld route, who's been very vocal against PC. What, what's is there fear that even just talking about it might get them in trouble? Why don't why aren't more people kind of rallying to the to the cause? Somethings and possibly all the millennials, which I hate to say that because that goes all the way up into the 30s, people in their 30s. But I do think seriously, there's been some brainwashing going on, and in a way that they they just don't see it as politi- political correctness. A chance uh-huh. to be, they just go, "That's me. That's me. I was raised that that's me. Why would you do that? Why would you even want to say that instead of seeing it as a chance to go? Yeah, we can say anything we want. Yeah." And often you can dig into something that maybe is more profound or makes you think about a joke much more than just a typical punchline. Yeah, yeah. Because remember when Seinfeld said that, that he didn't want to work colleges because of political correctness? Oh, yeah. And that, that kid shot that letter back, that's because you're old and you can't <laughs> come up with jokes for our generation. And they, they, I think they really do think of themselves as a whole, complete uh, subculture. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, that's it's interesting and sad at the same time. Uh, You've been you've been a stand up comic for a while now. What, you know, I th- I'm sure there's a lot of downtime. There's obviously travel. Uh, maybe the food you you eat on a certain gig might not be sort of the healthiest. But is there something about sort of the stand up lifestyle that would surprise people maybe who have followed your career for a while? Uh, that I actually turned my lifestyle around. I uh, I just had a, a complete physical the other day. Never had, I hadn't had one in six years, and my doctor goes. Oh my God, this is amazing. You actually listened to me last time. <laughs> I've lost weight. My, my tri, uh, all my cholesterol went from 400 to 100. Wow. Uh, like muscle mass. Every, she goes, normally people don't tell, listen when I say, you need to make lifestyle changes. <laughs> and uh, I just think the 
oh, there's nothing out there but Taco Bell. Oh, there's nothing out there but, uh, you know, McDonald's. It, you just have to look a little harder. There's a there's a safe way in a King Super. It can pay uh, attention. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, Steve, before we let you go, we always ask our guests here at the Hollywood and Total Podcast about what they're watching these days, the books they're reading, the music they're listening to, just to kind of give people a tip on, on maybe something that is kind of flying under the radar that people may want to know about it. So are you, sh- you know, binge watching any any good shows or watching anything on TV or even an album you kind of ch- checked into recently that you really like that you can recommend? Uh, I, I just binge watched Longmire. Mm-hmm. Every every bit of it. I don't know if you've watched that yet. I've watched some of it. That's five seasons worth, right? Yes. I, I, since I was trapped on the ship, uh-huh. nothing to do. I just binge watched and I loved. It was like the new modern western. So that that was my binge watch. Also, uh, the ranch, mm-hmm. with Ashton Kutcher. I loved. I binge watched that. Have well, you seen that yet? You know, I haven't. I, I heard what he said when he first promoted the show. And he was saying it was for it was kind of a show for the red states, and you know I think he's a fairly liberal fellow, but he's always been very uh, well spoken and even keeled. And I I like the fact that he was almost recognizing that Hollywood sometimes doesn't reach out to that audience. But you're saying it does a pretty good job, I imagine. Oh yes, it's a great great show. It's uh-huh. a, it's a traditional format sitcom, but they actually use cable properly. You know they they drop the f bomb. Uh-huh. They uh, and it's done well. Huh. Uh, Sam Elliott plays the dad, and he is hysterical. <laughs> and you know, we often get to see him being funny, so I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, so that, that was great. Gotcha. And as far as movies, my latest that I loved, that I don't think enough people saw, was Hell or High Water. Uh-huh. It was terrific. I just loved that movie. You know, it didn't get Oscar love, unfortunately, but uh, if you're looking for a movie, not only to recommend it, but the ending, that last scene between two key characters was terrific. And I think too many movies... Just can't stick the landing. That one gets it, and uh, so I'm glad you mentioned that. It's a great choice. So, yeah, that ending was well, I, that whole movie. You know, where once in a while you see a movie that's uh, done perfectly. Uh-huh. Like I can't find the loophole. I can't find a uh, a soft spot. The dialogue didn't work. Uh, that that was a perfectly done movie to me. Yeah, a great sense of place too. You really felt. Although I think it was shot in in New Mexico, not Texas, but it definitely had that feel. That kind of dusty, arid, depressed feel. That that just was dead on. Exactly. Gotcha. Well, Steve, before we let you go, I know you've got a lot of places where people can find your work, so let me uh, let you plug away, as the old Saturday Night Live character would say. Where can people find you and your comedy? Uh, find me on Twitter, Facebook. Well, I'm at Steve McGrew on Twitter. Uh, Facebook, I have two pages, a fan page and personal page. And I have my YouTube channel, and we have a Wrinkle Cheats YouTube channel, which we do a daily vlog. So... And, and what I always say when I do radio stuff, I go, just Google Steve McGrew and see what pops up. <laughs> and if worse comes to worse, just put in the hell-bent Southern gent, and I'm sure your name will come up too. Exactly. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much. I've uh, D- uh, Steve is, calls Denver home. I had a chance to meet him, and he's a really good guy, and I'm just glad to talk to you again, and we'll check in down the road too. I appreciate it. Thanks All for right. having me. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. 
No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. Haverty's Furniture is here to help you get your home all set for the new year so you can set the stage with more style, set the bar more beautifully, and set a more show-stopping table. Let's set some time aside to settle in on a new sofa together because being at home shouldn't mean having to settle for less. And Haverty's Furniture can help you start the new year off right at their holiday savings event so you can create the perfect setting. And right now, everything's on sale store-wide. 